If you've been wishing, hoping, and dreaming about taking your business from six figures to multi-six figures or multi-six figures to seven figures, then I wanna make sure you get our new free guide, the multi-six and seven-figure scaling roadmap. Inside the guide, I pulled back the curtains and I shared all the strategies that I used and they can help you too. First, they can help you triple your monthly sales. I shared proven strategies with you that led to a 3X increase in my monthly sales. Second, I show you exactly how to crush your limiting beliefs. Say goodbye to doubts like, you can't charge that much and there aren't enough ideal clients for you too. Third, how to only work with ideal clients. I show you how to become the go-to expert and attract only the perfect clients and referrals. And finally, I show you how to quantum leap to $20,000 plus every single month. I show you exactly how to take a quantum leap from 8,000 per month, for example, to 20,000 a month. You can absolutely break through your upper limit barrier and enjoy five and six figure months every single month. Make 2024 your dream come true year by downloading your free guide today. Just click the link in the show notes below. Welcome to Quantum Revenue Expansion, where we share time-tested strategies to turn your annual revenue into your monthly revenue. Ready to up-level your business and your life? Then you will love listening in on the lively conversations Ursula has with her clients and guests as they share exactly what they did to grow and scale their business exponentially. Plus, you will discover how to experience more freedom, joy, and peace in your business and your life right now. If turning your annual income into your monthly income is your next step, then join us at the next 2X Intensive. Go to UrsulaInc.co slash apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Quantum Revenue Expansion, the podcast where we talk about turning your annual revenue into your monthly revenue. Super excited today. I have a first time guest. Now, let me just say this. I've been trying to get Janet Steiner on my show for like I don't know, five years. She has shared with me that she's listened to every single episode of Quantum Revenue Expansion and when it was Double Your Sales Now. I think that's some kind of a record, Janet, which means you've listened to over 250 episodes. And so I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, first of all, I can't believe it, but I can believe it because it's you. And thank you and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Yes, it's, um, well, I am a lifelong learner. And I have learned so much from the people that you have had on as guests. So it's great. It's great. And you have so much to share today because today we're going to talk about how to overcome imposter syndrome. And if you listen to the 250 episodes, you know that multiple, multiple, <laughs> many guests have talked about imposter syndrome, have talked about not feeling enough not feeling good enough to be in the space that they're at or not felt feeling like they belong. So we will talk about that. We will talk about that today. Just a quick reminder, if you're new to the show, you can grab our free masterclass on my website, UrsulaInc.co, Quantum Revenue Expansion, the masterclass, which pairs with the podcast very nicely. So I encourage you just to download that. It's a three hour session. So there's lots that we packed in and I know you'll come away with at least one nugget to help you expand your business. So with that, let me talk about and share with you the amazing Janet, some of us call her Jan Steiner. She is the former president and CEO of Thorough Packaging, an industry leading packaging solutions company driven by her life motto, which you can see behind her. You can see a part of that. If you don't make dust, you eat dust. No one wants to eat dust, right? You got to make it. She scaled the company from, listen to this, from $1 million to just under $40 million in revenue before negotiating the sale of her 
family-owned business in 2018 and retiring from this position, but not retiring from life, let me tell you. Throughout her career, Jan has earned numerous awards, including most recently being named Executive of the Year by Printing Industries Association of Southern California. Congratulations, Jan. Thank you. Receiving the prestigious Spirit of the Entrepreneur Award, which is a big deal in Southern California. If you don't know about this, it's a really big deal. And being inducted into the Ben Franklin Honor Society in 2019. Amazing. Today, with the spark of her vision and wisdom gained by her experience, Jan shares her core principles of success and business passion, inspiring and empowering other driven entrepreneurs to make dust, the name of her new speaking and mentoring business adventure, adventure, venture. Yes. And by the way, for those of you who are listening, there will be an opportunity for you to schedule a free mentoring call with Jan at the end. She's going to tell you about that. And I just like so generous of Jan. If you think about it, if you can hang out with someone who's grown a $40 million business and sold it, like, yeah, you probably want to take advantage of that. So we'll tell you about that at the end. But before we do that, I want to brag a little bit about my experience with Jan because I had total imposter syndrome the first time I met Jan Steiner, the Janet Steiner. And I was thinking back, I'm sure it was at a NABO meeting when we first met. It had to be. Yes. 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 And um, So I was involved in NABO in many, many different years. And um, Jan came through wearing a, I'll never forget her signature jean jacket, which I kind of thought you might wear today, but I I see you're, you're showing up in this very professional, very pink, beautiful, beautiful jacket. So it was this beautiful jean jacket. And on the back, on the back, it just says make dust, doesn't it? Or is it the whole, is it the whole if you, yeah, if you don't make dust, you eat dust, or yeah, there's right. something like that. Yeah, the whole yeah, it's it's yeah. your whole quote. And I was like, who is this lady? I'm sure I leaned over. It was probably Janice who was sitting next to me. I was like, who is this lady? <laughs> or Michelle Skilgen, two of our dear friends, and they're like, oh, that's Janet Steiner. And I'm like, well, who is Janet Steiner? And then they told me you were, you know, you you were the president of Thorough Packaging. Anyway, fast forward. Somehow we got connected and we were talking and Jan asked me about my services. At that time, I was doing a lot of sales coaching and Janet, you said, Hey, I'd love for you to come in and work with my sales team. I was thinking, what can I teach them that Jen hasn't already taught them? Like I had total imposter syndrome coming up. So then fast forward, I go in to teach them. And I remember this. I'll never forget this, Jan, because I've shared this story many times during sales camp. I was going through the script that we still teach. We still teach the script. And by the way, cold calling isn't dead for anyone who's wondering cold calling is still alive and well, and people are doing it. Our clients are doing it successfully. And I was going through the script and at the end of the script, because you like you're a lifelong learner, like you said, you were sitting in the room. You didn't just delegate the training to me and leave. You were sitting in there with your sales team. And I was talking about, if you call a CEO, a president, like, here's what, here's how you'd want to approach them and da, 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 da. I finish it. And you know, your sales team was very receptive. You had amazing people on your team, but you looked at me and you looked at your team and you were like, this would totally work. I would, I would take this call. I would take an appointment with this person if they called and said these things to me. And that Jan landed in my heart and in my soul. And I could get teary eyed talking about it because it was probably one of those moments where I needed to be reminded that I did know what the heck I was talking about. And I was <laughs> supposed to be out teaching this stuff, right? This is probably like, mm-hmm. back in, I don't know, 2008, 2009. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. And I wanted to say thank you because I don't know if you ever knew that story or how no. many times I've told no. it or wait. I was like, Jan Steiner said that she would call us back. So, so thank you. So tell us like, <laughs> anyway, I wanted to start there and 
I would love it if you would share, just tell us your story. I mean, you, you take over this business, it's a million dollars, you grow it to 40 million. In a male-dominated industry, I'm sure you were yeah. the only one in pantyhose and high heels walking around. Okay, I'm going to let you share. Well, first of all, I looked up the definition of uh, imposter syndrome. And it says, uh, the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. Right? Yeah. And then it says, People suffering from imposter syndrome may be at increased risk of anxiety. So I think that's uh, kind <laughs> that's of pretty a, accurate, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> so yeah. um, it was incredible that you thought I, I had that much self confidence because I did not. You know, so it's uh, really interesting, and that's what I want to be able to to share with people today uh, about how to believe in yourself. And, uh, and go forward and make dust. If you don't make dust, you eat dust, make dust, be out there. So, okay, back is a little story. Yes, <laughs> back of, uh, many, many, many years ago when I was in high school, I was just a, a scattered bond, you know, just uh, and uh, I had no direction. And I was a BC student, just like, so I was told by a teacher, Janet, don't even bother going to college because you won't make it. So, you know, the imposter syndrome starts when you're young, you know, you, you get all this, well, I'm not worth it, you know. Then later on, uh, I found out that I have dyslexia. They didn't know what dyslexia was when I was young. They just called you dumb, you know. So, <laughs> and, and then you actually, there's a lot of brilliant people uh, have, yeah. and very successful people have dyslexia. So if you are one of those, uh, keep uh, journeying on because we have uh, other abilities that some people don't. So I decided to go to JC, JC it was. So my first year in J junior college, I was working part-time in retail. I loved retail. I really liked retail. Uh, Sears, for those of you who remember Sears, <laughs> you know, and I became a full-time student uh, at the JC. And that's when my dad started Thorough a very small company. He started it with a little single color printing press and a, uh, a little die cutter. And my mom literally gluing most of the boxes uh, by hand. So and then I took accounting 101 and uh, accounting 102. And my dad said, okay, good. Now that you've taken all the accounting classes, you can do our books. <laughs> I'm going, oh, oh, really? Well, it was very small, but there was no check figures. Like there were check numbers like there was in school. So it took me hours to close the books the first time, but I really learned a lot. So it, that was good. So my second and third year, third year of um, junior college, I only went part-time because I would go to school either Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday. And I was also working at Sears. And then I would go and volunteer at my dad's with my dad and uh, you grew up on a farm. So I'm sure you did some volunteer labor. Yes. <laughs> a lot of that. <laughs> a lot of that. Yes. Yes. So, and I still love retail. So then it was time to, to look to go on. And uh, I was actually doing relatively well at school and because I think I got into classes I enjoyed, you know, yeah. it was really good. So I tried to go to Cal Poly Pomona and they um, didn't accept my, uh, they said no. So um, 
my dad said, well, sometimes it's just time to go out there and work. So I applied at Sears for the executive training program and they took me on for that. So that was really great. So I was with the retail, you always had a day off during the, um, the week because you had to work on the weekends. So guess where I spent my day off? At Thoreau. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, years later, my, um, oh, when I did the books, my dad, um, after a while, he started paying me. He wrote me a check and I think it was right for $20. And he said, here's your, um, you know, for doing the books. And he said, but don't cash it. You know, there's no money. And I said, yeah, I know there's no money. You know, <laughs> so eventually there was some money and I was able to cash it. So then um, my dad, we were getting busy or, and my dad said, I need uh, some full-time help. Will you come to work for me full-time? I go, yeah, but Sears pays me. All right. And so um, he paid me basically what I was making at Sears, which was fine, you know, because it was, um, my dad had this dream. He always had this dream of wanting his own company. He was so driven. and. You know, they started this on a shoestring. They didn't really have the funds to do anything like this, but they did. And they started and, and we were doing, we started to do um, okay. So it was a one girl office. I was the one girl in the office, you know? And then a few years later, our, I said to my dad, dad, we need sales. I said, how about me going out into sales? And he goes, hey, great idea. There's the door, there's the world, go. <laughs> and I went, okay. And so I went to JC and took a class on sales oh. and I went out and got myself a little uh, pantsuit and um, I felt the need to get a facial first. Is that ridiculous? No. It's whatever you need, right? Right. right. Whatever's going to build that confidence for sure. Right. So I got the facial and, uh, and so I had to ask my mom, mom, will you come in and, and fill in for me a couple of days during the week while I go out into sales? And I started doing okay. So it was really kind of fun. Um, I actually, I loved it. And about that time, I think we were up to maybe 24 employees at Thoreau. You know, we were still very, very small. And then my dad got sick. Uh, I was 32 and my dad couldn't come to work anymore. In the meantime, we had gotten an investor. And that investor was a 25% in investment into the company uh, or, and he made sure that he was on the board of directors. That was what he wanted to do. So I had a statutory board when I took over. And I, I have to say that if he hadn't come in with, a, with the funds that he did at that time, we might not have been able to make it, but sometimes you also sell out to the devil. And we found that out because after my dad died, uh, at the first board of directors meeting in front of the board, he accused me of stealing from the company. Oh my. And so, oh boy. And so I land up having a certified public audit. We were having a very small company. Of course we had to have his team do the audit, right? So, and um, actually years later, I ran into one of the guys or about a year later. And he said, I'm sorry for all that we had to put you through for the audit. I had no clue, you know, he yeah. said, but he told us that if we didn't find where you were stealing, he was going to go after us. Oh my word. Anyway. So they came back and everything was, was cool. And so I remember I had to pay them a thousand dollars to come and be at a board of directors meeting and clear my name, <laughs> but I thought that was worth it. Yeah. And they said that uh, for as small a company as we were, we had more controls in place than they usually see. And so it was, it, 
they really applauded us. And so I thought that was really great. So they get up and leave. And then um, George was his name. George said, well, I feel sorry for anybody who has to work for Janet. Oh. And George was, George felt women do two things good in business. You know, they answer the phones, make the coffee. And if you're in manufacturing, they pack, you know, do assembly and packing. Oh, okay. And so after he said that, (laughs) I put my head down and my mother was there my mother thought I was crying but in actuality I was laughing because I he had attacked my ethics now he is attacking my character yeah you know and I'm going like oh my gosh you know so after the meeting my mom says we need to meet and so uh he, he just said my mom said this company isn't big enough for all of us And I said, well, actually, my mother didn't know it, but I was actually trying to sell the company because my parents had everything they had was in the business, as many small companies do. Now, they had their house paid for, but they had no cash in the bank. They had no savings account. They had nothing because everything was thorough. So when I said that, he said, well, how much are you you looking for? And so I gave him a number that I did a quick calculation in my head that I thought it would be enough money for my mother to live off of. We would be able to pay him off. Right. It was 25%. And I was figured that, and I had a company car, so I knew I'd be out of company. He didn't want me around, you know, and uh, I would have enough money to maybe buy a car. So I did figure it out afterwards. The amount of money I was, would have gotten is uh, I would have been able to get a Chevy Nova. But anyway, <laughs> it wasn't very much. I was a small shareholder. So after a while, he, he obviously, he said, yes, okay, um, you can buy me out. And so that was really a great step for us to get him out of the, our hair. He told us, he said, you can have three years to pay me off. I said, I don't want to do that in three years. I said that to my mom afterwards. I said, um, I don't want him around. I I just, you know, I said, we have a a certified public audit statement. I said, tomorrow, put on your best suit. We're going to go talk to banks. And we did. And so that was great. So we got rid of him. And then uh, one of the things my dad had said, he wanted me to get involved with local trade organizations. He said, Jan, they will stab you in the back whenever they can. However, in case of a disaster, they will be there for you. Oh, so, okay. okay. <laughs> so I went to one of these meetings and they were, there was a, basically when I walked in, there was three guys, they're all about my age. Their dads had companies in the same industry, much larger than us. We were the minnow. And one of the guys said, what are you doing here? And as I recall saying, well, my dad has no sons. It's me. (laughs) You know, I didn't know. (laughs) Anyway, so that just helps reinforce the imposter syndrome. I didn't belong. You know, I mean, what am I doing here? So I walked out of there and I went, you know what? I'm going to prove to them that a girl can do it. And that was my driver. For the rest of the time I was running that company, I'm going to prove that a girl can do it because 
I was the first female folding carton president um, for years and years and years. I mean, now there are some and it's really great. So I had the opportunity then to go to one of the national trade organizations and they had these guys told me, well, you won't want to go there. They're very clicky. I'm thinking they can't be worse than you guys. <laughs> right. So, right. So <laughs> I went there and I asked the admin, I said, who else is a small company? And they connected me to a small company in uh, Maryland. Hmm. And I developed a relationship with them. And we were able to brainstorm because I wanted to grow. I wanted to to have our company being a stellar company. And so it was really, really good. And also right before I went there though, I went to Nordstrom's and I got a St. John knit suit on sale. Wow. So I figured, okay, I might be the imposter, but I'm going to look good, right? Right. Right. <laughs> right. So I wanted to just learn, learn, learn and, and be there and be, you know, so it was good. So we bought out all the company, all the, the shareholders. And a year later then my mom said, now it's time for you to buy me out. And I went, oh my goodness, we're a capital intensive company. How am I going to do that? So it takes the IRS uh, one or took nine months to approve the transaction. And I was able to, to buy my mom out, uh, a 10 year payoff plan. So, and then I am like, 95% owner of the company and my son had 5% because my mother had gifted him some shares when he was born. And now I'm going like, oh, what am I doing? I'm trying to build this company. I got this much debt. How is this all going to go? Yeah. I, I don't belong here. So I would be with a group of people periodically and they'd start talking about their college experiences. And I go, Oh, you know, they'd be, I went to Princeton, I went to, you know, Cal State Fullerton or Cal, usually uh, UCLA and, and all these great colleges, Purdue. And that's usually when I would leave to go to the restroom because I didn't want them to say, where did you go to school? Well, I went to Fullerton Junior College, you know? Um, and so I would just like duck the subject because again, it was imposter. I didn't feel like I belonged uh, in so many, many, many ways. But life goes on, right? And um, the business continued to grow and we needed to, to move. We were in Anaheim and we needed to move. And my board of directors said, you need to buy the building. And I go, how? You know, and I said, we can't do that. And they said, just figure it out because you hate your landlord, which I did. I caught my landlord on a lie one time and he knew it. Mm. And yeah, it was like, oh, and every time we put in a new piece of equipment, he would go like this and raise the rent, you know? Oh, wow. So that's where I really needed to have more control. So with the help of uh, a, a realtor, I had to get an SBA uh, second for the building. Yep. My mother took a, um, a second on my house for beyond what my house was worth so that I'd have enough money. And we did it all legally. We documented it and she did get paid off. So, um, but that, I was in debt up to there. And what was and, the company revenue then, Jan? Oh, we were probably about 8 million, seven, 8 million. Okay. Yeah. 
And so we bought the building out in uh, Corona and every, it was, uh, you had been there. It was, and it was so huge compared to we, where we were. We were like 20,000 square feet and we went to 54,000 square feet. And the employees said, why did you build such a big lunchroom, Jan? And later on, they'd say, why didn't you make the lunchroom bigger, Jan? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so um, I really believe in the SBA um, loan process. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, a lot of documentation. Uh, it, it worked though. It worked. But we still continued to grow. I still felt like I was in the imposter syndrome. However, I was able to, oh, let me get this. Yes. Actually, you, Ursula, presented me with this. And I still have it. And it's from 2006, the Businesswoman of the Year. It was one of the most beautiful awards we, I think, I don't know that we ever had that ever again. And it was so perfect for you. That was 2006, my word. Yes, yes, yes. And my mom always said that looked like it was modeled after me because that's the way I stand. <laughs> because of what? Because that's the way I stand. Yeah, a lot. yeah it, it was you. It was so, yes. there was no question. It's so perfect yes. for you. Yes. Um, so, I remember, I feel like I wore white that, anyway. I remember I think that. You did. Yeah, I have pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I still felt like, how is this happening? You know, like, you know, what do you mean that they're offering me this role? There's got to be more people in the Inland Empire that are much more deserving than me. No, I really felt that way, you know? No. But um, we continued to grow. And then as time went on, uh, we needed to buy uh, one of the last printing presses I purchased while I owned the company it was $6 million. Wow. Again, I had to sign on the paper for that, you know, yeah. I say the day I signed for that, my deodorant quit <laughs> it was <laughs> because I, it was such a big obligation, but I knew it was the right thing to keep us as a leader. Oh, you know, those guys that kind of said, what are you doing here? Oh yeah. I remember them. Yeah. What happened? Uh, well, my sales out or my growth far out succeeded what they had, were doing. Okay. Thorough grew, thorough grew. And when I sold it, we had 175 employees. You know, we were a big entity, you know, and we were doing better than those guys, you know. So in my opinion, anyway, we had, we really had a good, uh, a good go there, but I still, uh, and then I landed up um, deciding we needed to, be getting another $8 million worth of equipment to keep us at that leading edge. And that's when I decided it was time to sell. At my age, I didn't want to go on the line for another 8 million. And uh, I, I thought I need to do this. I took a lot of time. That was, it was an interesting process. And I really feel like I did a lot of things right on that. Um, I can't say everything in my career I did right, but in the, the process I did pretty good and I what I wanted was a strategic buyer and uh, I got a strategic buyer and so we sold um in 2019 and uh, when it when it closed so uh and so I had three buildings at that time and we were able to parlay the buildings and so after I sold about nine months afterwards, I sold the buildings 
I don't want to be a landlord to them. Yeah. I mean, a good company, but I don't want to be a landlord to them. So I bought a house in La Jolla, La Jolla, California, three doors back from the ocean. I've this- heard this through my twin told me a little bit, <laughs> a little bit how happy she was for you. And I was like, wow, congratulations. So when I stood on that deck after I had signed the papers, it was the first time I felt I owned it. The very first time I basically started to weep mm-hmm. and I went, yeah, I did this. I did this. You did. I mean, I didn't do it by myself. I had an incredible team. I had employees, my management team, my trusted advisors. I was in Vistage, you know, God directed me a lot. You know, there were times when I had to make a decision. And one time I couldn't, I was having trouble with it. And I put a marker on my dresser and I said, God, when I wake up tomorrow morning, could you put the answer on the wall? Well, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what did he write? Okay. (sighs) The the marker was still there about two weeks later. and I moved it (laughs) after I had made the decision myself, you know. But I really felt like I, I really got a lot of uh, help. So I, um, I'm involved with a dog charity. It's called Tragic to Magic. And they take uh, get dogs from uh, like Mexico, Rosarita Beach. And that's where I got my dog from. So I was having a fundraiser. And so I had it open, you know, so people could come in and such. And so somebody came in and this is down in La Jolla. Yeah. And this guy comes up to where we had a bar, we we're serving beer and wine. And he kind of, he sees me and he says, so are you a trust fund baby? <gasps> oh, what did you say? I looked at him and he said, a rich divorce. <gasps> and I had to pay spousal support when I got the divorce. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I just shook my head and I got up and walked away. And the bartender um, is, he had done a lot of work for me in the house. So he knew the story from years. So he, he apparently from the other person that was there um, set this guy straight. <laughs> no, she, she worked for him. <laughs> right. Right. But well, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Well, it's easy for people to make assumptions, you know, and especially when we're women and, and we're successful. And so yeah. I, I have a couple but, of things I want to unpack really quickly though. You don't know that. I don't think I've ever shared the story. I rescued a dog from Tijuana. Oh, you did? Illegally. Oh. And uh, I, I'm saying this on my podcast. This was, gosh, when we lived, so we lived in Southern California at the time. And we yeah. went with my sister-in-law and my brother um, and Tim. And, th- and that's when it was easier to cross the border into Tijuana, like from Mexico. Mm-hmm. We were just going over there for the day, right? And on mm-hmm. the way back, we were, kind of, we were walking through to get to the parking lot back when you can do, I don't know what the border is like now, but back then you could just kind of stroll back and forth with your mm-hmm. license, right? And there was this tiny little puppy and Mm -hmm. it was, I can't make this up. It was running to the United States (laughs) across. It got across and it was, it was technically on the U S side at that point. So technically I didn't really cross it over. Um, And I looked at it and I, I could see Tim, like, like, (laughs) you know, and this guy looks down and he was a, a a Mexican police officer still on the the Mexico on Mexico side. And he, he just looked at me. He said, it's just going to get run over. I'm not worried about it. So I went 
they weren't going to do anything. So I went running, scooped this little puppy up um, and we hit it. You know, when you have to go through and you get your car mm-hmm. checked, mm-hmm. I hid this little thing under my shirt and mm-hmm. I took it to a vet and I'm still mm-hmm. angry at this vet. I don't remember who it was. I took it to a vet in Laguna Beach, California. Yeah, we still lived in Laguna at that time. Laguna Beach, California. And he chastised me. He would not touch the dog because of where I had rescued it from. So I had to find another vet. That would and then not tell him the story. <laughs> not say all the things. Yeah. Um, the dog we named Poco. Um, Tim and I lived in an apartment in Laguna Beach at the time. This was like when we were in our 20s. And we couldn't keep the dog at the apartment. We weren't supposed to have pets. So I had him there for like two weeks. And then I flew him back to Minnesota. And he lived with my sister-in-law and my brother until he passed away. Little Poco. And he was best friends with my niece and my nephew. So anyway, there's a story for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah, I didn't know. I Anyway. Um, so I love the work that you're doing. I have a question for you though. I want to back up. Yes, so yes. here's the question because I love your story. So you're standing on your, you know, on your deck, you bought this beautiful house in La Jolla. One of my favorite places in the world. It's so beautiful. The beach is so beautiful. And you have this moment of like, I made it. I deserve all I, I did that. I did this. And while you had an amazing team, Jan, let's face it, you were leading that company from the time you were 18 or whatever, you started working there. You were leading it. You were moving it Mm -hmm. forward. And so what I'm curious about, because for all of our listeners, it's like, what, what were the gifts for you of imposter syndrome? The gifts, I mean, during it, well, one of the things my, my mom always used to say, and my dad, you know, be humble. Yeah be humble and, you know, um, uh, don't be too heavy. And I think that was, um, part of the underlying of, of not being able to, to take the credit for a lot of things is just always being told that, you know, um, be on the sidelines and, uh, and actually that is a lot of how I ran the company. Um, because I was, I felt like I was the cheerleader and nothing pleased me more than to see people grow and develop to be the best that they could be. Yeah. It was amazing for that. And that, that would warm my heart and to have, uh, employees do that. And, and I was able, I think, um, being a little bit more humble, I had probably a better rapport with a lot of the employees. Because uh, we used to do this thing where I used to take a group of people about six or eight uh, from various departments out to breakfast or lunch or whatever shift they're working on. And uh, I know some of them, would, they, they said they would, they would get so scared, you know, oh my gosh, you know, Jan, you know, and, and, um, but we, we would just all talk about our backgrounds and what we're doing and try to explain, you know, people didn't know what the receiving does and, you know, the impact I'm keeping all the pieces running. Yeah. And it, that was so enlightening for me to work with, with everybody because I had actually done a lot of the work. I was going to say, you've done the jobs. You'd been there. <laughs> yeah. You could relate to what they were saying. Yes. So she- I also believe in automating, automate, automate, automate wherever possible. And the people would say, oh no, you're going to take our jobs away. No, we're going to be more competitive than our competitors. We're going to grow our business. And you guys are going to be running this more sophisticated uh, equipment. If you choose to grow and learn and you'll be able to make more money. Yes. So, you know, it works. Yeah. Well, and I mean, would you have had the same amount of drive 
because I think back like part of the imposter syndrome, I think back when you walked into the, the association room and those the gentlemen were in there and you had that moment of like, I don't belong. And at the same time, it drove you. Imposter syndrome <laughs> drove you to be the best, to outpace everyone else and to grow this $40 million company. Yeah, I was kind of proved to them that a girl can do it, you know, so there. Mm. Yes, <laughs> had that why, that fire burning in you that, that kept mm-hmm. probably going through some of the toughest times. One of the other things I just, and then we got to start wrapping up because we could talk forever, but um, yeah. you, you were willing to take what I would call pretty extreme risks, especially financial risks. Like, I I don't even know how many loans you mentioned or more, you know, putting a second mortgage on the house or Mm -hmm. money, like from the SBA and then this, this, you know, buying the buildings and then the next $6 million investment and on and on. How did you, how did you keep the faith during those times? Or how did you know that that was the right move? How were you willing to take the risks knowing that like it, what if it didn't work out, but was that even a thought in your mind or did you just know I'm doing this and it's going to work out? I was doing it and I was hoping it was going to work out. <laughs> but I did this test one time when we were doing some management thing and, and uh, it's about risk-taking and it came out. I was not a risk taker. And I went, that's interesting. Now going to Vegas, I look at the big buildings. I go, I'm not supporting that. I mean, it's hard for me to put uh, $20 into slot machines or anything else. I mean, no, I, I, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I don't want to participate in growing this, this business and their business. However, I figured that this was a calculated risk. It was, it was a calculated risk on my team and, and what we could do. And before we get a lot of this equipment, I would round the troops up and say, we can do this, right? And also I had my board of directors. If I, my board of directors were really guides for me because as you're running a business, I I definitely suggest to anybody in a small business, have a group of uh, advisors, not um, a strategic board like I had. Um, I mean, you can have that, but you know, um, that's a little bit tougher, but have an advisory board because when you're running a business, you're because Thoreau was named after thoroughbred horses. So we use the, the terminology a lot. Your blinkers are on, you know, because you're focused. Okay. How am I going to get that next sale? Okay. Then how are we going to produce it? How are we going to do that? How are we going to take care of that employee issue? How are we going to do this? And the board can come in and bring um, ideas from outside. And like the board was the one who pushed me to buy the buildings. And even though we did get so totally into debt, I mean, luckily the, the, the second on this house was with my mom. And uh, I didn't think my mom was going to foreclose, but I also paid her off. So she had the faith in me <laughs> too, yes. you know, yes. and living conservatively. Um, I actually had a, a banker uh, say to me, um, they look at the financials, uh, Jen, for the size of the business, you don't take enough money out. Mm. And I had my board saying that you can get a raise. I go, no, no, no. Now, if we had a good year, I, I would expect the bonus. But I lived a very conservative um, life because they said, I know you want to buy that next piece of equipment. Yeah, I do want to buy that next piece of equipment. And I'm, you know, 
Uh, and that was where I was. I wanted to be a leader out there. And to be a leader, you have to, to do those things. So um, a lot of those other people, they were always off on their ski trips and they were off on a lot of things like that, that we didn't really participate in. Um, I, I still think the, the kids had a decent family life. They just didn't have the luxuries of some of the others. And, and sometimes, um, like when I would go into some of the accounts and stuff, I, sometimes I think I had more guts than I did have knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> guts count, you know? Yeah. You count. just go in there and, and uh, I'm going to, I remember telling myself today, I'm going to win the Academy Award. And I'm going to go in there and um, be able to, you know, I, I believe in total honesty. I would not tell anybody anything that wasn't truthful. Sure. But I was going to go in there with the self-confidence that I didn't have. Sometimes we have to just summon that up, bring that state of confidence that we know is there. Yes. Yes. So now life is quite good. And I always wanted uh I always wanted a Chanel suit. <laughs> um, I was thought, I, I love classic. I love that classic yeah. style. And so uh, just a few weeks ago, I found a, a classic uh, Chanel jacket and that's what I'm wearing today. That's why I'm not wearing the denim. Beautiful, it is so beautiful. Yeah. Yes, so I still live somewhat conservatively, except I do uh, splurge on something like, like this. Um, you can, look a million dollars without spending a million dollars. But every once in a while you spend it. <laughs> yes, yes, awesome. Uh, well, Jan, we could hang out all day and I know our listeners are going to love your story and it's gonna be so inspiring. I can think of some of my clients who are just gonna love this. So share with us, um, I know you're offering a mentoring call. Uh -huh. This is a complimentary mentoring call. So who, who is this for? Who would be a good candidate to have this conversation with you? I think the, the best candidate would be somebody running their own business uh, in a solopreneur or an entrepreneur uh, or somebody in sales. I do do some mentoring um, and some of those people are out in sales uh, through a trade organization. I do some uh, mentoring and I just enjoy it um, very much. I'm also mentoring a, a young gal that's out of the foster care system. Uh, here in Southern California, and uh, she's a gutsy, it's a gutsy one, so, um, but she's a good kid, so those are the people that, you know, if you're open to sharing uh, where you're at and where you're stuck, and I don't have all the answers, but I have gone down quite a few trails, <laughs> yeah. I've hiked a few mountains. So and, the best way to book that, to just email you directly? Yes, email me to janetsteiner24 at gmail. Okay, perfect. And we'll make yes. sure that's all in the show notes. Um, beautiful. All right, final words from Jan Steiner. What's the final 30 seconds that you want to share before you wrap up today? You can do it. You can do it. Either make dust or eat dust. And you want to be a leader out there. And sometimes you have to put some mental thought into how you're going to be that leader and you can do it. Amen. You can do it. 
Jan mm-hmm. Snyder, thanks for hanging out with us today on Quantum You're Revenue welcome. Expansion. This was so fun. And thanks for being a longtime listener and listening to every single one of them. That every was episode. So happy. I appreciate mm-hmm. you so much in more ways than you will ever know. And thanks for hiring my company back in, I don't know, 2008 or whenever that was. I it was a <laughs> meaningful. It was so meaningful in so many ways. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Your basic things. I, I know one of the uh, salespeople, I mean, they, they dialed for dollars. I used to call dialing for dollars. Um, right there in the class and uh, one of them made a a connection and they uh, got the order they went out there and everything we did was custom so sometimes it took a while but they got there to the right person at the right time and boom boom you know yeah it was it was so it's been an interesting go that's all I have to say in life and um I'm happy to be able to share some of my experiences and anybody who hasn't read. Yeah. Who not how, who not yes. how I, uh, I got this from, cause Ursula kept saying it. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. I need to have Dan Sullivan on the show. I'll, I'll make that happen. I think it was. Yes, I, you should. Yes. Yeah. Why not? All right, Jan, thank you so much um, Mm -hmm. for reminding us to make dust. And for our listeners all over the world, we love you. If there's anything we can do for you or a topic or something you want me to talk about, email us at contact at UrsulaInc.co. That's it for today. Make this your most epic month yet. And make dust. (laughs) And make dust. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. And if you are ready to make your next quantum leap, let's do it. Ursula invites you to join us at the 2X Intensive. Go to salescoachnow.com slash apply. Don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.